The Miami Dolphins come back in incredible fashion against the Baltimore Ravens in an instant classic game. We talk about that, what's going on with the Cincinnati Bengals and the Indianapolis Colts, and much more coming up on this episode of Locked On NFL. You are Locked On NFL. Your daily NFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Welcome into another edition of the Locked On NFL Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Monday, so that means I'm here with you, Kevin Ostraker, the host over at Locked On Ravens. And thank you so much for tuning in here today with us, making Locked On NFL your first listen of the day. We're free and available on all platforms. That also includes over on YouTube and video form. And today's episode of Locked On NFL is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on your entry. First time users, you receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code Locked On. That's prizepicks.com. Promo code locked on. And we are back here after a Sunday slate of week two action, which again just featured so many good games throughout the course of the day. We saw instant classic games, last second field goals to win games. We're going to dive into all of that here today, talking about the biggest stories from week two with our local experts around our network. In the first segment, we're going to be talking with Jake Liskow of Locked On Bengals about what's going on with the Bengals right now. They're 0 2, two last second losses. On field goals, we'll talk about if Cincinnati's in panic mode or not there. In the second segment, we'll dive into the Dolphins' miraculous comeback in a 42-38 win with Kyle Krabs over at Locked on Dolphins and how Dolphins fans and the organization must be feeling right now. Then in the final segment, we'll flip over to the Indianapolis side of things and we'll talk with Jake Arthur of Locked on Colts about if the Colts need to go into panic mode even after acquiring Matt Ryan after their 0-1-1 start. So any further ado, we'll dive into what's going on in Cincinnati with Jake Liskow of Locked on Bengals. Well, the AFC North had a rough week two going 0-4 in the AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals for 2021 fall to 0-2 with a last second loss to the Dallas Cowboys here to break down everything that's going on in Cincinnati. Jake Liskow, one of the hosts over at Locked On Bengals and Jake Cincinnati suffered two pretty heartbreaking defeats, both on last second field goals in this game against Dallas with Cooper Rush at the hell. Many expected Cincinnati to bounce back from their Pittsburgh loss, but what went wrong for them in this game overall? It's the same thing that went wrong in week one, but in less dramatic fashion. In week one, it was turnovers and sacks. In week two, it was inefficiency in sacks on the part of the offense. And credit Dallas's defense and Micah Parsons in particular for creating havoc. And credit Cooper Rush for making plays down the stretch when he had an opportunity to get his team into field goal range to win the game. But the story for the first two games for the Bengals is not on the defensive side of the ball. It's The offensive line is Joe Burrow. It's the offense in general, just not seeming to have answers for the pass rushes they faced in the first two weeks of this season and not having answers with teams getting home with four or teams showing certain mugged up linebacker looks against empty formations, not having answers to those things. Plus just cover two, Tampa two in general, not punishing it enough with their running game and, Joe Burrow not looking very comfortable knowing generally he's okay, but not always knowing where to go with the football in those circumstances, maybe hesitating a little bit more 
than we're used to. And so as a result, the explosive play has been diminished for the Bengals and the consistency just hasn't been there over two weeks. And when you have neither of those things, well, your offense just isn't very good. Right. And you mentioned the offensive line and the Bengals did invest in the position during the 2022 offseason, bringing over multiple players. We're pretty early in the year now, you know, some overreactions, I think, are being thrown around there throughout the NFL world. But do you feel like if there's another poor performance, maybe throughout the first month of the year, the Bengals should consider shuffling somewhere, adding someone else? I mean, what's your overall thought process on this offensive line through two weeks? I don't think there's anyone else on the roster that's going to be better than the guys they have out there. I think the guys they have out there simply need to play better. And I think that their level of play has been exaggerated or or maybe the results are worse than the process. Uh, Joe Burrow, again, taking six sacks in week two, but this week, maybe three of them were on him. Maybe, maybe two plus a coverage sack. And Micah Parsons is, is a havoc creator and he did his thing and created havoc and, that's going to be what it's going to be. But there are signs of this offensive line improving in pass protection. And you can see it really in both games when you go snap by snap. The, the bigger concern to me than the offensive line for the Bengals, and this is probably heresy to many Bengals fans, is Joe Burrow and the way he's played. Hasn't looked comfortable in the pocket, hasn't managed the pocket, in my opinion, as well as we're accustomed to seeing him do so. And with the magic and the skill that he displayed last year in that area and as a result i think a lot of these sacks are at least partially if not wholly on joe burrow's shoulders if you're going around and charting sacks and and trying to ascribe responsibility to an individual player i think the early look from pff has five of the what is he at 12 sacks that joe burrow's taken on joe burrow and that may include a week one sack where he just takes a knee on an aborted play right at the line of scrimmage so that's not a real sack but it is one in, in the in the stat books. Now, looking at their defense, Jake, what are some positives and negatives you've seen from them? Because they have, they've been okay, but I think there are some things you can take away from these two weeks that you want to apply maybe to future weeks here. Yeah, I mean, I thought they were fantastic in week one against the Steelers who didn't really generate any offense on offense. Most of their points coming off of turnovers or short fields or, you know, double reverse throwback plays and and smoke and mirrors kind of stuff. And yeah, you want to see your defense be better against smoke and mirrors kind of stuff. But again, I thought the defense played fantastic in week one, and I thought they were pretty good in week two, but there were a few drives that ended up losing them the game the way the offense was playing. And and again, I put this 0-2 start squarely on the offense's shoulders. And if you're looking for the defense's room for improvement, it's finding more consistent pressure. I don't know if they have the guys to do this, but against two offensive lines that have vulnerabilities and quarterbacks that certainly have vulnerabilities, I don't think that the pressure has been what they would like it to be, especially in terms of converting those pressures to sacks. And I think the other thing is takeaway opportunities. They managed one takeaway their first of the season against the Cowboys in week two, but they had a couple of other interceptions dropped or or otherwise unable to be hauled in. And, and they were tough plays to be sure, but they could have been game-changing plays had the Bengals defense come up with them. So if you're looking for things from this defense, you're looking for a little bit more disruption in the passing game, probably more consistency. Uh, Pollard had a few big runs for, for the Cowboys and you're looking for takeaways. And those are some of the harder things to do, but by and large, I think the defense has played really solid, really disciplined football for the most part. But when your offense is providing favorable game scripts to the other team every week, that does make their job harder. 
Right. And I know it's, it's important in these situations to talk about the performance of the players, but what about the coaching staff here, Jake? Have you liked what you've seen through two weeks so far? Are there things you'd like for them to improve? What's your thought process there? Yeah, I think that there's probably room for improvement here. Haven't seen the tape, obviously, from week two as the time of this recording on, on Sunday evening. And, and I'm very curious to see what was happening downfield. There are some trends that are a little bit worrisome, especially on offense. And there's some clock management questions I would have for this team. No real urgency, for example, in the Bengals game tying drive in which they needed a two point conversion to tie the Cowboys. They end up scoring with about three minutes and 45 seconds left on the clock on an 18, I believe, play nine minute drive. And the best case there, and, and this is what ends up happening. You score, you get the two-point conversion, you get a stop, you get your offense back on the field to try to win the game. They get their offense back on the field to win the game, but they're starting at their own seven or eight-yard line, and they go three and out. And now the Cowboys have a short field to kick a field goal to win the game. You save a little bit of time, you maybe give yourself a little bit more margin for error. There are some questions about some time management in week one as well. So there are certainly some coaching decisions that you can question. I think that once there's time to dig in and look at the tape, you can question some tendencies such as running the ball too predictably under center or the direction of those runs being too predictable based on your pre-snap motion. So, so some things like that, that I think you could probably do a tape study on and, and see if there are worrisome trends there, but that's only two games and there is time to certainly write that ship. But when you look at the Bengals schedule, these were the on paper, the quote unquote easy ones. And obviously nothing easy in the NFL as AFC North fans know after watching week two's action, but these are games that the Bengals are going to look back on. And if they do start winning some games and get into the playoff mix, they're going to look at these and say, man, those really hurt us. We should have won those games. Right. And finally, Jake, it is again early in the season, but on a scale of one to 10, maybe how concerned do you with this 0-2 start? Are you putting a lot of stock into it or not really since we are just two weeks in? I think that it's easy to put a lot of stock into it. And a lot of times I might be critical of overreacting to two weeks, but these are very questionable teams that the Bengals have played early. And they've had individual players that are great. Micah Parsons, TJ Watt, Mika Fitzpatrick, but they're teams that if you're going to be making noise in the playoffs, in my opinion, you need to soundly beat. And I know that football is hard in any given Sunday and this and that, but I do have some serious questions about this offense through two weeks that they're going to need to prove that they can play good offense and be an efficient offense. And there's no reason to think they can't. They did it a lot last year, but there are some structural things and some defensive changes that they need to show they know how to beat. Namely, like I said, those, those Tampa two and two high shells that they've seen a lot of, and I, I specifically call out Tampa too because Joe Burrow did in his postgame press conference in week two. And there are ways to punish that. The Bengals need to find them and start executing consistently. And it took the Chiefs a few weeks to do that last year before they got on track. And maybe it's the same for the Bengals, but the difference is the Bengals are 0 2. Right. And the Bengals will look to get back on track here in week three. For more of the Bengals start, be sure to check out the Locked On Bengals podcast with Jake. They do great work over there. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Jake, thanks so much for joining me. The season is still young, and Cincinnati, I think, has a ton of talent on both sides of the ball. I think they definitely have what it takes 
to turn things around, but they absolutely have to, again, not just do that in words. They have to put it on the football field and start to rip off some wins here because an 0-2 start, definitely not ideal in a very loaded AFC conference. But coming up, we'll be diving into that Miami Dolphins instant classic win against the Baltimore Ravens in our second segment with Kyle Krabs of Locked On Dolphins. So be sure to stay tuned. We still have a ton to get to here on Locked On NFL. But first, I do want to tell you a bit about prize picks and prize picks fantasy has been in my life for such a long time now it's really been a staple in what i do it's a great way to follow football all across the league and for prize picks what makes it really cool is it's pretty easy to use and also you can have a ton of different entries you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry you just have to pick two to five players and if they will go score more or less in their prize picks projection there's no competing against other people it's just you versus the projections available prize picks offers projection on any sport that you watch and so that includes the nfl the nba you have mlb action nhl pga college football college basketball and more Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's really that easy. You can have safe and fast withdrawals. They're currently operational over 30 states and Canada. So download the PricePix app or go to pricepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive over 100% instant deposit match to $100. The promo code locked on. So if you deposit $100, PricePix will give you $100. If you deposit $50, PricePix will give you $50. Don't forget to enter promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match of up to $100. We're back here, our second segment of Locked On NFL. Kevin Ostreicher, your host, still here with you. And thank you so much for tuning in today, making Locked On NFL your first listen of the day. And now we're going to be diving into a game that was just incredible on multiple fronts. And I mean, the, the comeback that Miami pulled against the Baltimore Ravens, 42-38. to 38. You have just unbelievable stat lines all across the board. Lamar Jackson had a great game for the Ravens, but it was not enough. And we'll talk with Kyle Krabs now of Locked On Dolphins about the mood in Miami after that incredible win. Well, the Miami Dolphins pull off the improbable coming back from 21 down in the fourth quarter, outscoring the Ravens 28-3 to in that fourth quarter on route to a 42-38 to victory. Here with me to break it down is Kyle Krabs, the host over at Locked On Dolphins. And Kyle, after a game like that where you're feeling so many ups and downs, I want to check in and just ask how you're doing after a game like that. Well, yeah, so I, I was there on uh, Sunday, and as you can see, the uh, the Section 511 – doesn't get any shade throughout the course of the game. <laughs> so a uh, little bit dehydrated, uh, a little bit emotionally tapped out as well from this pendulum swing back and forth. I mean, between Baltimore running the opening kickback and, and then them driving the length of the field for 18 plays and then having the missed exchange down there on the goal line and Miami then coming to uh, return that following possession for a score to make it 7-7. Seven, seven, so you get the 14-point swing that way and then they extent the leads Baltimore's up 35 14 and then as you mentioned all the the, the flurry of points Miami hadn't had an offensive quarter like that in forever I mean it, it it felt totally surreal watching you see other teams kind of have flurries and maybe not to that extent but I that that's the testament to what Tyree Kill can bring to your offense I think more than anything with the two long touchdown catches that he have and it's great to see those dividends returning for Miami and a team that that needed this kind of big play potential. And we talked about explosives, Kevin, when we talked last week on the crossover. And, and explosives at the end of the day for both teams was really uh, what made this pendulum swing back and forth as much as it did. In tons of 20-plus plays, tons of 40-plus, 50-plus yeah. plays throughout this yeah. entire game. It wasn't limited to 20-plus. But, Kyle, when you have a comeback like this, it's not just the offense that does it. The defense had to stifle the Ravens' offense and hold them to those three points in the fourth quarter. We saw a couple different looks throughout the game. Miami still was a very aggressive blitzing team in this game. The Ravens 
looked like they had it figured out through the first three quarters. But in that fourth quarter, how was that defense able to strap down and stop this Ravens offense? Yeah, credit to Miami. I, I did not think they played particularly well early. I didn't think they fit the run particularly well. They didn't tackle in space particularly well. And then once the Dolphins offense kind of showed signs of life, uh, I thought the team kind of regained their footing defensively to say, hey, okay, like, let's go play loose. And you saw Xavier Howard almost get an interception there as Miami was in the midst of that comeback too. And I think they, once the first big like stop happened, it kind of, they, they built on that as far as confidence in uh, being able to prevent Baltimore from breaking past pursuit. And I think it was just kind of as much as anything, renewed discipline with getting tackling and finishing plays, which they did horribly in the first half of the game. And I think when you're talking about just how this defense was able, I mean, you see the multiple big plays throughout the first three quarters for Baltimore to be able to, again, strap down and, and force yeah. this Baltimore team to punt situations, the two fourth down plays, which were huge stops for Miami, one on the goal line, one late in the game where it was huge. But for Tua, Kyle, you have a guy 469 passing yards, six touchdowns that have the two interceptions. I'm going to throw a bold question out here. Was this the greatest tour performance you've seen in a Dolphins uniform so far? Comfortably, yes. And, and you know, you, you saw him in instances early when he was a rookie. The Cardinals game is a, a game that Dolphins fans point to back in 2020 and say, oh, well, he led the fourth quarter drive and, and they end up winning the game. And, and, you know, he really took command in that. But this was a whole different level of, of adversity to play with. And I thought it was a pretty well-rounded performance from Tua. And, you know, say what you will about the two interceptions that he threw. I th thought it was a tight window throw on the first one. And, and you know, at that, beyond that, they're chasing the game script where Baltimore jumps out over top. And, and you know, you, you're you're really trying to keep pace and, and you don't have confidence in your defense. But 469 and six touchdowns, like this this guy back here over my left shoulder, Dan Marino, threw for six touchdowns like once in his career in, in Miami. And Bob Greasy threw for six touchdowns once. So, like, th this was like an all-timer, like, Dolphins franchise history. The 469, I think, was the fourth most passing yardage in the history of the Dolphins organization. And it's it's wild. And and you would love to see Miami do two things. Build confidence off of this, and Tua used this as a springboard. He increased his career passing yardage by 10% in this game. He increased his career touchdowns by, like, 20% in this game. So, like, use that as a springboard for more production. And then from Miami's perspective, like, wow, we can go vertically up over the top and take some of these shot plays. Let's not wait to do them, right? Like, let, let's kind of, you saw Miami kind of be strategic with the rhythm passing early on and some of the quick perimeter screens that they try to do. The first touchdown to Jalen Waddle was a perimeter screen. And yeah, it had success. But, you know, for, from the Dolphins' perspective, I, I thought all things considered, they blocked the Ravens' front particularly well they gave to a good pass protection in a lot of stretches when when Baltimore did not come with blitz and they tried to drop out and play zone let's use this as a, a springboard if you're the Dolphins and, and really try to snowball this with Tua Tagovailoa and get this kind of increased production maybe not to this degree but but more so than what you've seen from him historically yeah, and I think for an offensive line in Miami that you know had offensive tackle questions all week Tarn Arms that mm -hmm. ends up playing Austin Jackson to IR 
they gave Tua, you mentioned, a lot of time in the pocket, the Ravens defense front, not able to really get a ton of pressure on Tua throughout the majority of the game. But you talk about those crazy stats. I mean, the, the Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle duo is for real. 11 receptions, 190 yards, two touchdowns for Tyree Kill, 11 for 171 and two touchdowns for Jalen Waddle. I mean, almost 400 yards between the two themselves. I mean, we talked about it, Kyle, in the crossover about how the Ravens would have to stifle both those guys and let someone else beat them. Well, Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle beat the Ravens. How were they able to get over the top of this defense and execute late in the game? Yeah, it seemed like there were some miscommunications on the back end, and obviously Baltimore with attrition in the corner room, you know, really hurting for healthy players down the stretch. And, you know, you saw a couple players from each team battling cramps down the stretch. It was a hot day, not just in the stands, but I'm sure down on the field it was hot too. But, you know, you, you mentioned the receiving production that they had. and They had 19 and 13 respective targets between the two of them. The next highest targeted player for the Dolphins was Mike Gusecki, the tight end with four. So, you know, they schemed some throws. Uh, they Because they had the luxury of extended pass protection, which is not a thing that the Dolphins have consistently had over the course of the Tonga Valoa era, uh, you got to see him stand in the pocket and, and kind of uncork those deep throws to Tyreek Hill. And, and um, I thought both of those throws were in rhythm. And that's something that was a point of emphasis for the team with uh, their drops in preseason and in practice was, Hey, if we're going to go vertical, like your timing of your drop and then the hitch, when you collect at the top, it has to be on schedule. And one of the throws that he tried to make against new England was a deep dig pattern. Uh, that was about 20, 18, 20 yards of depth. And he was a little behind getting to the top of the drop and throwing. And therefore he didn't get everything into the throw the way that he should have. So I think the timing from Tua allowed the go routes from Tyreek in which he gives like the little head nod inside and then accelerates down the field. And just the speed at that point takes over. Um, it, it really helped and aided this vertical production, but like give coach McDaniel some credit too, for some of the scheme throws that he got both these guys, because they did manufacture touches in short space to get these guys the ball. Yeah, and a great start to Mike McDaniel's era over there in Miami. Yeah. And now a big week three matchup with the Buffalo Bills for the Dolphins. And you mentioned some of the things that the Dolphins should do to build off of this win heading forward. But what do you think they can take from this game and apply it to the Buffalo game just a week here in week three? Yeah, I, I think one of the things with Buffalo, and you look back at you know the game at home last year when Tungavaloa got hurt and went out early. And well, the defense in, it has against Buffalo played well early but got worn out late and Buffalo has tacked some extra points on and really ran away with games. So uh, you'd like to think you can play a more complimentary style of football against Buffalo with your perimeter weapons in Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle and what you have in years past where the defense ends up getting worn out by having to bow their backs consistently early in the game and then getting worn out. So if I'm Miami, I'm, I'm really hoping this offensive flurry here late in the game we can use that to piggyback to make sure that our defense isn't so highly stressed in having to try to contain the Bills' offensive attack for 60 full minutes without having to blink because that will emotionally and physically wear you out. You've seen the Bills do that to the Dolphins pretty consistently when they've played. Yeah, no, absolutely. And final question for you, Kyle, going back to this Ravens game, did you have a moment in that fourth quarter where you thought Miami had this one and you thought, oh, they're really going to do this, they're going to win this football game? Uh, when they, when Tua went for the 60 yarder to Tyreek, the second long hit to Tyreek was, oh my goodness, they have all the momentum now, you know? And it was, I remember when it was 35, 14 
and they're getting first downs and there's a couple dolphins fans sitting around me and it's like okay cool like call me call me when we get in the end zone right and then they get in the end zone and then we get a stop and then you you, you get the 48 yarder and then the, the 60 yarder happens and it, at that point it really felt like wow the momentum here really feels like it has has swung all the way miami's way and baltimore scrambling and it was it, it was when they tied the game that was kind of the first moment that in my mind I said, wow, they might actually come back from 21 down and actually do this thing. Yeah. And, and I, I said, right after Miami was within one score of the game, I said, the Ravens have to run the clock out. They cannot give Miami the ball back because the defense cannot stop them right now. And the Ravens mm. with the run game being as bad as it was, Miami did a phenomenal job stopping the run throughout the course of this game. Miami was able to get the job done, an incredible comeback win. And for more on the Dolphins and this incredible win, as well as their week three matchup with the Bills, be sure to follow the Locked On Dolphins podcast with Kyle. Tune in, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle, I appreciate you so much. Thanks for hopping on here. Oh, thanks, Kevin. Good chatting with you, dude. The Dolphins earned that one. Coming back from 21 down in the fourth quarter, outscoring the Ravens 28-3. to Unbelievable performance by Tua and just everybody on that Dolphins team in the fourth quarter. So big props and big credit to them. Coming up on Locked on NFL in our final segment, we will be diving into what's going on in Indianapolis right now, talking with Jake Arthur of Locked on Colts. And if the Colts need to go into panic mode so early in the season, so be sure to stay tuned. We still have a ton to talk about here on Locked on NFL but first, I do want to tell you a bit about Turo. And Turo is the world's largest car sharing marketplace. With Turo, you can book any car you want wherever you want it from a community of local hosts. You can browse a huge selection of vehicles for just about any occasion or budget across the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. You can book a spacious SUV or minivan for a family road trip. You can get a classic or luxury car for a special event, birthday, or even a holiday. You can find affordable economy cars if you're on a budget and just need to get from point A to point B. You can test drive a new electric vehicle you've had your eye on to see how it fits your everyday life. Many Turo a host can even deliver the car right to you. Every trip is backed by liability insurance, term conditions, and exclusions apply. Ditch born rental cars and find your drive at Turo.com. We're back here, our final segment of Locked on NFL. Kevin Allstriker is still talking with you here. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us, making us your first listen of the day over here on Locked on NFL. Make your second listen of the day, the Peacock and Williamson Show, where Brian Peacock and former scout Matt Williamson break down all the latest news, action, and stories from around the league. But now we're going to be diving into what's going on in Indianapolis right now. The Colts, they tie with the Houston Texans in week one. They then lose a shutout to the Jacksonville Jaguars 24 to nothing in week two. And here with us to break that all down and what's going on is Jake Arthur of Locked On Colts. Well, the Indianapolis Colts have had a rough start to their 2022 season. Here to dive into that with me is Jake Arthur, one of the hosts over at Locked On Colts. And you have a Colts team, Jake, that's not 0-2. They are 0-1-1 after that tie with the Texans in week one. But then a 24 to nothing shutout at the hands of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I'm going to start with a pretty broad question here, Jake. Just what's going on in Indianapolis right now? Well, if you're looking for what's going wrong, it's it's really everything, top to bottom. Uh, coaching and players alike, roster construction, all of it is, is kind of crumbling at the moment. And it's it seems early to say the sky's falling. It's only two weeks, and one of those games was a tie. But this is going back to last year. This is four straight regular season games for them where they don't even look prepared to play and be on the field. They look like a JV team. They're getting housed by the teams they're playing. You know, last week they somehow came back to tie after being down 20 to three in the second half. So right now it's everything. The 
the players aren't performing well. They had seven pro bowlers last year and no one is living up to their standards. The coaching is, is just being absolutely lopsided by the opponent, both games. Now it's, it's ugly everywhere. And when you look at some of these weaknesses, you mentioned roster construction, where do you think the Colts could have done a bit better in the offseason addressing some needs and getting players in who could contribute at a high level? Yeah. So a lot of people on the outside pointed at these receivers and said, that's not going to be good enough. You know, behind Michael Pittman Jr., they had no one who was proven. They, they spent their first pick on Alec Pierce, which was a nice pick. But, you know, Ashton Doolin, Paris Campbell, uh, Mike Strawn, a bunch of question marks. And so far through these two weeks, Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce were both injured and they were, were not in on Sunday against the Jaguars. And it was a disaster. These guys didn't look like they were on the same page with Matt Ryan and they're just no one stood out. It, it was all bad, all bad in the passing game, really. Uh, three interceptions for Matt Ryan. He was sacked five times. So the receiving core, the doubters, they seem to have been proven right on that. And then on the offensive line, it seemed like a bold move to just kind of gift Matt Pryor the left tackle job. I mean, there is some competition. I mean, they, they said so at least. But all of the snaps in, in training camp were given to him. And there were opportunities for them to go out and get someone who's a little more proven because uh, Pryor was a decent utility lineman for them last year. You know, he filled in a few different spots. Uh, he did look good in, in the game. He had extensive left tackle snaps at, but he's been a liability so far through these couple games, as has their right tackle, Braden Smith. So, you know, what they invested in the offensive line and the receiving core, as little as it was, it has not paid off. And you talked about Matt Ryan, the three interceptions here against Jacksonville in the week two. How would you assess his performance through two weeks here? Because the Colts went out and they gave up some stuff to get him, hoping he would be this guy that could turn the offense around a little bit and help mm -hmm. lead them to the playoffs here. Yeah, it's it's not been all bad for him. Like, you can watch him play and tell, like, okay, he would be better with a better supporting cast around him. But he's made some bad decisions, some poor throws and some poor decisions as well. Uh, they actually had some momentum in their opening drive of the game, and then he almost had a just a unofficial punt of an interception that he threw to, to end their first drive that looked like it was going to end in points. Um, he had he had like four botched uh, quarterback center or quarterback running back exchanges in week one. So just pretty uncharacteristic stuff you would think you're going to see from a 15-year guy. Um but overall, I, th I think if the Colts can get his protection figured out, that things will start to look better. Once Michael Pittman is healthy and back, things will get better. Because they the, that pair looked great together in, in week one. Um, but unfortunately, it doesn't look like Matt Ryan is going to be that quarterback that can, that can get them there no matter what. He's going to have to have protection and he's going to have to have weapons around him. I think he'll be fine, but they have to get those other things around him figured out yeah and so let's flip over to defense now jake you mm -hmm. talk about a team that does have plenty of talented pieces there but again allowing 24 points you got two touchdowns to christian kirk in this one for the jacksonville jaguars what are some of the early strengths and early weaknesses that you've seen so far from the unit uh it's really difficult to give you strengths right now uh grover stewart their their nose tackle has been outstanding uh their run defense has been pretty good overall that they, they gave up a long touchdown run to to james robinson today but outside of that they were okay uh grover stewart's been a big positive in that um I, i'm i'm not trying to be rude to him but i'm legitimately i'm coming up empty with with some other positives um 
but negatives, you know, they're not getting much of a pass rush. They invested in Yannick Ngakwe. They they made a trade for him this offseason, and so far he's just not done anything for him. None of the pass rush has. It's been really poor through two games. I actually saw Mike Duraco from ESPN. Uh, I, I think he posted something that Trevor Lawrence faced his fewest pressures of his career today against, against the Colts, so not great there. Uh, Stephon Gilmore was pretty good coming into today, and when not matched up on Evan Ingram, he was pretty good. Uh, so that's been, a, I, I guess, a positive. Uh, but yeah, right now that everyone's just adjusting to the new scheme under Gus Bradley, and it's they're taking their 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 lumps. It, it's it's a uh, work in progress as far as learning where everyone needs to be. Right. And I know early season reactions for a lot of people, you know, the season's not over for, for any of these right. teams so far throughout the NFL. So Jake, moving forward, you looked ahead to week three, hopefully the first month of the season ends a bit better for the Colts. How did they get there? How did they string off some wins here to get back on track? Well, again, not to be too sky is falling, but this was supposed to be the easy part of their, of their schedule because week three is the Chiefs. And then they've got uh, the Titans and Broncos, um, and then the Jaguars again and the Titans again. Their schedule is really difficult this next month. So this was supposed to be them leading up to the tough part of it. But I think as long as they're not shooting themselves in the foot, they're going to have to rely on Jonathan Taylor and block well for him. Um, and then just if Matt Ryan can take what the defense gives him and, and get on the same page with these pass catchers, I think if the Colts can get Kylan Granson and Paris Campbell and Mike Strawn more involved in the passing game, that will help the offense in general a lot more. Those have been some guys who I think could help them out if they just get the ball a little more. And then again, Jonathan Taylor, he's the only thing on offense you know works right now, apparently. So just just got to get him going. And we've talked a lot about the players, Jake, but what about this coaching staff? What, what do you want to see out of them moving forward to help this team get back on track? I just think I'd like to see them quit outsmarting themselves. Um, I think against Jacksonville, there was kind of a, a clear a clear plan of attack that uh, they could use some of their fast, shifty guys to attack these off-ball linebackers that are a bit bigger and they're more powerful than they are quick and athletic. Uh, you know, Naheem Hines, Paris Campbell, Jonathan Taylor outside in the passing game probably could have worked pretty well for them on Sunday. Uh, just, just digest the film see what other teams are using to to defeat these teams or, or be successful and and try and do your own version of that like quit trying to fit square pegs into round holes just do you know take they, they they preached to Carson Wentz last year take the layups coaching staff take the layups do what looks like is going to work yeah, sound advice there from Jake. Definitely yeah. just take take the small stuff and make sure you can get that under control first. For more mm -hmm. on this Colts team and their big week three matchup with the Chiefs with their week two loss to Jacksonville as well, be sure to check out Jake over at the Locked On Colts podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jake, I appreciate you. Thanks so much for hopping on with me here. We'll see what the Colts can do. Again, they went out there that they swung and tried to trade for a quarterback that could help them take that next step going from Carson Wentz to Matt Ryan. So hopefully it pays off for him. We'll see in the coming weeks here. But that's all I have for you here today on Locked On NFL. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining me here today. Let me get back here tomorrow on the show. We'll be diving into more NFL content with your Tuesday host. So be sure to stay tuned for that. And we will see you right back here tomorrow.